This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. Liverpool held to a stalemate by the Gunners at Anfield as Mohamed Salah contract question comes into focus. Reds sit and watch on as the transfer clock ticks down with only exits on the horizon. And Jurgen Klopp out to avoid a sting as the bees head to Anfield. All of that, as well as our team selector and match prediction to get into as ever. Here to get into it, we have our Liverpool correspondent, Tool Paul Gorst, and the O Squires. Gents, I trust you're both well. We're going to have to get into Thursday night's events at Anfield, Gorsty, first up. And, uh, well, wasn't one for the purists, was it? It's not going to live long in the memory, as Jurgen Klopp said in his press conference today. <clears throat> no, it was um, it was dire, wasn't it? Really, um, as soon as Granitech got sent off, Arsenal had to kind of regroup, and then um, you almost got the impression that they were they were pleased with not so much pleased to lose a man, but <clears throat> pleased that they were given the opportunity to justify a game plan of just getting nine men behind the ball and digging in deep and defending and holding what they have and taking it to the Emirates. Um, Arsenal not a team famed for their reserves of character and resilience and mental strength. So I think with more than two-thirds of the game to go, you thought Liverpool might have been onto a winner. And um, I, I agree with Klopp to an extent when he said that, you know, he, he felt that the, the players took on a bit of unnecessary pressure once the send-off happened. It was almost like they had to take advantage of it to the extent where they were trying to put the, the entire tie beyond Arsenal to make the second leg almost an irrelevance and that's all fine and well if, if your tails are up and you're flying and, and you, you're putting teams as a sword but you didn't even create a half chance did they really um, Adam Ramsdale made his first and only save from a shot on target in the 92nd minute Minamino should score and, and we should be sitting here t- today talking about how Liverpool got away with one and they weren't at the best and they've still managed to give themselves the advantage heading into the second leg but um it was a really, really poor night, and, and um, as I wrote in, in the verdict, um, not a good night for anyone who champions the uh, the claim that Liverpool have got decent strength and depth. Because without the main men up front, um, they just look completely toothless. And, and this is a front line that wasn't um, Kate Gordon or you know Harvey Blair, as we've seen in other ties this season. This was Jota, Firmino, and uh, the top scorer, the top scorer in the Carabao Cup, Minamino. Um, so it was a really disappointing night. Yeah, definitely. It's not original, Theo, but I'll say it anyway. Jack is sending off, proving another false positive for Liverpool. Can we just start again? Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, we, we're trying to work it out. Is he suspended for the second leg or not? Is it just the one game? Because uh, if no, he's suspended, no, I, it's I more. I presume it's at least, it will be at least two because it's not his first sending it off. Is- would it not depend on what the sending off is for? Whether it, it will was... depend what it's for. It'll be at least two, though. It'll be at least two because he got sent off at the Etihad earlier in the season. So he's got so it is... two game ban. It could be three or four. So mm. it's a double positive for Arsenal then because they could be as defensive and boring like that at Anfield and then they don't have to play him at the Emirates. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I slept well after last night because it was that dull it probably sent me straight to sleep. Um, like, of course, he's just said there, there wasn't really anything any positives out of it. Liverpool didn't create anything at all. Um, the front three looked like a front three that hadn't played together before. And it was just one where you can't put Firmino out wide. You can't put Jota or 
Minamina really on the right because it's not natural to them. So it's the lesser of two evils, which ones you put there. And, and it just, they never linked up. They, there wasn't any threat of them ever trying to find this breakthrough. Uh, the fact that we're talking about the shot and stoppage time is the only one on target. And we and during the game, almost getting excited about an overhit cross that nearly sailed in or Minamino sky and the cross by it was just, it was, wasn't what you want to see from Liverpool. Like they've got strength and depth and they've got talent. They're just, they're not, they didn't make, stand up and count, make it count when they needed to. Like we were doing all our pre-match stuff saying, oh, it's a big game for Minamino. He's going to get a chance to start to prove what he's about. It's a big game for Minamino. The other two are uh, around. He's just been left out of the Brazil squad. He needs to come get some goals, show what he's about. He's got contracts up here next year. They've got stuff to play for. And none of them did. Um, did play into Arsenal's hands so that they could go so defensive in the fourth of that problem before against the sides that just defend deep and have so many men behind the ball. But if you put a Manchester City against Arsenal yesterday, Manchester City win that comfortably. Manchester City always find a way to score a few goals against those sorts of sides. And Liverpool don't. And it's why they're behind them in the title race at the moment and why they are, have got that gap between the two sides. You can say Liverpool need a bit more, whether that's in the transfer market or that, but they've, they've got players coming back from injury now. Like It was the strongest team Jurgen Klopp could play available to him. And we're in a position where we're saying maybe in a month's time, everyone at the moment is back from injury. Like Origi's going to be back in the next couple of weeks. They're talking about even Harvey Elliott could be back training with the team in the next few weeks. And it's like, how much of a difference is that going to make when you look at these options here? Like on the bench, Oxley chamberlain was an attacking sub. Curtis Jones was an attacking sub, but you never had any faith that they're going to go and win you the game, whereas Man City could make that sort of change. And it just gives only person who came strength out of it. It's Mohamed Salah, because he's the contract negotiation there. This is how important he is to Liverpool, because he's the one who wins them games out of nothing. Uh, yeah, it's just it wasn't a positive game for Liverpool to get through at all. And the ironic thing about it all is Jurgen Klopp wanted the League Cup semi-final to just be one leg. He wanted it even more this year with all the COVID cases and everything. And now we basically had nothing game, so it is going to be decided off another 90 minutes. Yeah, definitely. Maybe we'll we'll touch on that in a bit. And obviously, I suppose, beginning of next week, we'll have a chance to look ahead to the second leg. But Theo rather stole my thunder there, Gorsi. I was going to say, square pegs in round holes on the right-hand side, no goals. The only winner, surely, from a nil-nil draw is Mohamed Salah's agent. Yeah, I wrote as much in, in the verdict. Um, and Mane as well, to be fair. Um, Liverpool just looked completely bereft of ideas, didn't even without those two. And I was surprised at, at Jota, really. Um, I don't think he, he suited to that right flank at all. I think he, he played there for a portion of the game against Brentford as well, um, back in September. And never played really... Played Man City, didn't he, last year at the... At the Etihad when he went with that four-two-four. Yeah, yeah, it's a strange one really because when when Klopp goes four-two-three-one, he tends to play Firmino as a number ten and, and Salah as, as a as a number nine and, and Jota off the right. And I, I'm not too sure what the thinking is behind that. Um, I'm sure there will be some sort of tactical, you know, thinking within the, the ranks of why that is. But um, for me, Jota is, is he's just a centre forward now, isn't he? Coming from Wolves and Liverpool were keen on us on his versatility and, and his ability to play a few roles. But I think he's best for Liverpool now is when he's a, a number nine. You know, he's a bit of a fox in the box. He's really good in the air for the size. He's got two great feet and he, and he works really hard. And I think if he kind of adapted his game slightly to just stay within the width of the penalty box, then, um, you know, 
I mean, he's already had a really good season. We can't say he hasn't on the basis of, of yesterday's game, but um, I just felt that he was he was disappointing, and, and so was Firmino. And Minamino was probably less of a surprise. I think he's been at the pool two years now and is still struggling to convince that he, he probably belongs, at, you know, in a squad this good. His loan spell at Southampton last year didn't work, and I think, in all honesty, Liverpool two years ago just basically tried to take advantage of a contract clause at Salzburg and, and thought that they could get this guy in for a bit of a cut price deal and it might work out. And you know, he couldn't really label it a failure if he left tomorrow because he was only seven million and he was always going to be a backup. And he's come in and scored goals here and there. Um, and there's you know a big reason why Liverpool are contesting this semi final, but um. When you haven't got Mane and you haven't got Salah and you're asking Minamino to do a job um, in their mould, it's it's difficult, isn't it? And um, I don't think we're being wise after the events to suggest that Liverpool, certainly now, I don't think it will happen this month, but certainly in the summer, they need to look at significantly bolstering those um, forward options and, of course, getting Salah tied down for another 25 years. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, but it's all quite big things, isn't it? And is it not after kind of the horse has bolted, Theo, in terms of Salah's contract's been ticking down for a long time? I mean, we were having discussions like this even last year, saying in the summer, surely from then on, the two years countdown, it's time to to get him on a new deal. We're now 18 months from his contract running out. Equally, we've known AFCON, albeit being postponed, was coming and it was down the tracks and it wasn't just going to be Salah going. It is Mane as well. They equate for 33 of Liverpool's goals this season and going halfway through a season, whether they miss sort of three, four, five games, whatever it is, it's going to be a blow for any squad, any team and therefore replacements should have been sourced prior to it, no? Yeah, it's like snuck up on Liverpool rather quickly. And you can throw Klopp's contract in there as well. Like that's up in 2024. Like these final two years are going to be happening really quickly. Um, I suppose you could compare it to the fullback situation. Like there was a time at left back, especially before they got Costa Simicast, they put James Milner there when they didn't have Robertson. It just didn't look right. It could do a job for a couple of games, but it didn't feel right. It didn't look right. Liverpool weren't anywhere near as effective. And it's the same when Alexander Arnold had to drop off at the right in the right back role. Then they get someone who can actually do it. It's their natural position, and it's like you don't need to worry about left back anymore. They've got a natural replacement. But Liverpool have never found that natural replacement in attack. Like yeah, in the summer they would have had what Jordan Shakiri for the last few years, but he still wasn't a Mohamed Salah, was he? He was more a number ten who could play out wide. And um, but they don't have those natural replacements. They've got the pace that can do the same job and. That's very hard to find. Another one who's happy to do the job but can sit behind Salah or Mane in the pecking order. They struck gold with Jota, but he's become a striker as he stayed at Liverpool. He's got this eye for goal and he's scoring so many. He's the second leading goal scorer in the Premier League. But this is what Liverpool do. Like You think of the players they've signed offensively in the past, like Mane, um, like Jota. They were versatile at Southampton and Wolves. They were playing anywhere across the front three, maybe even going as number 10, getting goals and assists. They're a bit inconsistent. Then they come to Liverpool, they step up a level, they find their consistency, but they find their main position. And that's made them almost impossible to replace, in Mane's case, in Salah's case. And then Liverpool are stuck in this position now with, well, what do they do? Because they can't go and spend £60 million on someone to just warm the bench. Like Diogo Jota... They could get away with that one because Firmino was the one in the team whose place was most under threat because he'd had those couple of seasons without scoring goals. 
But when you're saying you want to renew Mohamed Salah's contract, you're going to make him the highest paid player in the club's history. You can't in the same summer go and spend loads and get someone to just be a bench warmer behind him. And you look at the players they're being linked with, left-footed, right-forwards. What what does that mean for Salah? Does that mean they expect him to go? Does that mean he's going to be the central striker? Something needs to change here. And I think was it David Ornstein today who said he's not really expecting Mane to sign a new contract or Firmino to sign a new contract. So Liverpool's front line is going to look very different in 12 months' time, 18 months' time. And for however long we've been saying Liverpool got an ageing squad, they need to address it. They need to get these new players in. And they made those first steps when they brought Jota in. But now the pandemic hasn't helped and it's all sort of happening at once. They thought, well, we'll postpone until the summer, we'll postpone until next summer. Then we can really strengthen the squad. And now that they're in this position, well, everyone saw it come in. They've made these mistakes before. They made it in Klopp's, was it his first season, his second season, where the Cup of Nations, Mane departed. They're in a title race at the end of December. They were like down in fourth at the end of January. Just didn't win games without Mane. Now it's even worse when you're losing Salah as well. And you're in this position, well, you can't afford to lose them on free transfers. Like You don't have the funds to go and get in big money transfers. That's why you haven't been able to strengthen the squad. And now the players you've got, you're just going to let them go for not cut price fees, but lower fees because of the pandemic, because they're running down the contracts, to just try and raise a bit of kitty to get someone else in. But then it's a big gamble to get someone in who's going to have that instant quality to replace them. They're stuck between well, a Liverpool, and a place. Liverpool are a very different place, aren't they, Gorsley, from when Sadio Mane walked through the door as to where they are. If both he and Mohamed Salah walk out the door together, they've come on leaps and bounds. As Theo says, any replacements will need to be high quality and hit the ground running. And what, when, when Mane arrived for £30, £35 million and Mohamed Salah for, for near 40 players like that nowadays, you're looking at double those transfer fees, aren't you? And FSG off the back of seeing what they have delivered those players. They've been absolutely brilliant individuals, but as we made the point on last week's podcast, have Liverpool actually cashed in and won enough trophies during this golden period? Answer may well be. It could well change, obviously, this year with the League Cup, FA Cup and, and Champions League as well, but have they have they won enough? Will FSG want to sanction £70, £80 million pound signings for forwards? Yeah, do you know what? I was having this... I was having this conversation with a mate of mine a couple of weeks ago and we were saying if um you know just as it was looking like the league title was going to be getting away from Liverpool and City went from you know, being one or two points ahead of Liverpool to nine, ten, eleven within the space of about nine days. If this Liverpool team, you know, if they don't add to what they've already won, um, I think it'd be a massive shame. I mean, everyone will always remember that period between June twenty nineteen and July twenty twenty when they won the Premier League, <clears throat> Club World Cup, Super Cup and the uh, Champions League. And everyone remember the great games that were in those campaigns, you know, Barcelona in the Champions League and, um, you know, the, the, the games that they put one on the way to win the league. But I st- still think there'd be a little bit of twinge of disappointment if that was to be the high point for this squad. Um. So as, as you're looking at it now, you, you know, I, I still expect Salah to have a few more years left at Liverpool. I think all indications are that he looks after himself, you know, incredibly well, and, and he's someone who's going to be able to perform well into his mid thirties. In the way, there seems to be a little bit of a trend at the moment with the with the top stars in the world game. You look at Lewandowski, Messi, Ronaldo, Ibrahimovic is still in the Champions League of forty, and um, so you know you can um, almost like thirty is the, is the new like twenty six, twenty seven, if you like, in terms of. Um, 
if you want to kind of look after yourself. Do you yourself. see that with Salah though? Do you see? I mean, for me, I mean, we, we've made the comparison a bit in the past of assistant and goal output in the Premier League. He's probably more comparable to a player like Thierry Henry and that electricity with which he operates. Thierry Henry wasn't a player who stayed on late into his career. And I get it's a different era. Maybe players are looking after themselves. But that turn of pace, it's not as though Cristiano Ronaldo has it all the time and uses it all the time type of thing. Um, for, for Mane, is he, is he going to develop into a, an out-and-out number nine? For, for Mane, I, I, that, that, that's, that's right. Salah, Salah, sorry, 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 I'm oh, Salah. Yeah, for Salah, I, I can see it. I can see him um, almost conserving his energy. Um, it doesn't have to be splitting 60, 70 yards every single you know phase of play. I think he might have to adjust and adapt and tweak his game accordingly over the next three, four years. But I think he'll be able to do that. Mane's a little bit of a different one. I think he, you know. I don't know who would win in a 100-metre race between the pair, but he seems to rely on his ex- explosive pace a little bit more in terms of... Um, but he seems to be in bursts more, no? To, to yeah. me, Salah stretches away, like you just said there, 50, 60 yards at a time, which I don't know if he'll, he'll have the capacity to keep doing that. Mane seems to be a bit clever, a bit more explosive. And I suppose a, a player in the Premier League, maybe to draw a comparison to of how they've conserved themselves and kept going, is, is Jamie Vardy, isn't it? He He's yeah, kind of... Yeah. In, that mold now. Yeah, he'd be a perfect example, actually, wouldn't he? You know, um, very much on the shoulder of the last man down the middle. Doesn't do a whole lot outside of um, the, the final third unless they're on the attack, but he just gives gives them an option, doesn't he? You know, if they ever need to go long and, and quick and early, then he's obviously putting defenders under all kinds of pressure. And it'd be interesting to see what his kind of, you know, stats are in terms of distance covered and However, else and, and maybe Salah can look at that as as he as he gets to Avardi's age. He's still still only twenty nine. Remember, we're not writing him off next month and saying he's ready for the Nakas yard yet. So I still think he's got a few years to do that, and I think he is good enough to do that. Mane, I, I worry for a little bit more, um, and I think you know if, if if FSG have to make a choice over who to keep in this front three, I think Firmino's probably going to be bottom of. of of that that front three and Salah is, is ahead by some distance. It shows how much the fortunes have changed, doesn't it, over the last couple of years? Like before the pandemic, when Liverpool were on the verge of winning the title and we all had to put everything on hold for a few months, you just said Mane over Salah at that point. He was the one getting all the, the winning goals. He was the one who was dragging them over the line. And Salah was still performing. He just wasn't at the height he had been when he first came into the club. So it didn't look as impressive. But then for whatever reason, Mane's not hit those same levels since Firmino obviously he's had the um, not the backlash but the criticism about his goal return for the last two three years and even though he scored more goals this season he's not been able to get the consistent rhythm going because he's got Jota breathing down his neck he's had the injuries but then Salah's just taken it to a new height again I agree with Gorsty I think Salah can be this number nine like even if he loses a bit of pace which we're not saying he will because like Vardy's still quick now at his age but he's just got such an eye for goal that the fact that he can miss as many as he does and still score as many as he does, he's very much capable of being this penalty box striker who can just find any corner. Like we've done interviews in the past. We've got Liverpool goalkeepers from like um, the youth ranks or the, the reserve ones who might not have played as much and be memorable names to supporters, but they've still trained every day with these guys and had to face them in um, shooting practice 
and they're saying Salah is like one of the best finishers you ever see in your life. Like he just doesn't even need to look up. Top corner, bottom corner, top corner, bottom corner. And it's just that consistency, and he's got that hunger too. He wants to win trophies. He wants to keep challenging himself and competing at the highest level. And that's why it's this weird situation now where you're at Liverpool. You can't go to a Man City. You can't really go back to Chelsea. If you can stay in England, which we believe is the best league, the Premier League's the best, you, you've got Liverpool. That, that's your only option. You can't go to Spain because Real Madrid and Barcelona aren't what they were. Juventus aren't what they were. Inter Milan, AC Milan, they're not at those heights. You know, the only big names left are Bayern Munich and Paris Saint-Germain. And yeah, you're going to be winning the league every single year. You might go for the Champions League every so often, but it's not as glamorous as staying with Liverpool. And, and like with Sadio Mane, he just hasn't hit that consistency. So it's again, for all three of them, where do they go next? What happens? Like They're out of contract in 18 months. Do Liverpool have them see out the contracts like they did with Wijnaldum, like they did with Emery Chan, not bring in any transfer funds, say what they've achieved for the club is enough to have paid off the transfer fee we paid for them in the first place, but then they don't have anything to go and get the next generation in? Do they have to just be in limbo for two, three years and wait for Harvey Elliott's and McKay Gordon's to be these natural successes? It's just a very strange situation they're in at the do, moment. Do the players themselves have to expect and respect the fact that they might well not be the first names and become squad options. Roberto Firmino's kind of fallen into that category this season. Who's to say a, a new wide left forward doesn't come in and a similar thing kind of happens to, to Sadio Mane? We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But last one I want to ask, Gorsley, because this is the week in which Sadio uh, Mohamed Salah, keep keep mixing them up, Mohamed Salah has given this interview saying that he, he wants to stay at Liverpool. He's not asking for the world and believes that Liverpool could get something wrapped up. Jurgen Klopp's counter-argument is we're doing all we can and we want to get this done. Three months down the line since we first really started talking that they're in negotiations, what's the hold-up? Well, I actually asked Jurgen Klopp this question today um, and I didn't expect him to start saying, well, the issue is it's over image rights and this, this, that and the other and he wants five million... I knew that wasn't going to happen, but I just thought he, you know there might be some sort of inkling as to what the actual issue is. Um, he seems relaxed about it. He says, you know, it's a what did he say? It's something like it's not uh, it's not like buying a smartphone. You can't just go in and, and sign a contract and walk out the, the same day. And I can't really give too much into what he said because um, this podcast is going out before the ten thirty embargo. But um, he did seem relaxed about it. Um, I mean, I know it's nothing really to do with him in terms of. The negotiations and the uh, specifics of, of the, the deals, but um, he'd be absolutely desperate, wouldn't he, to, to make sure that this is resolved sooner rather than later. He doesn't want to be getting asked about it from the likes of us. He doesn't want to have it lingering over the, the squad or Salah or him. And um, he wants a, you know, a clear mind of Salah to go out and do the business every week. Um, as do the Liverpool fans, and as, according to GQ magazine, which Salah spoke to this week, so does he. Um, the interview was given before Christmas. I think that should probably be um, mentioned. Um, they're obviously a, a monthly magazine, aren't they? So they do their interviews ahead of time. But it did say in the in the piece, if you read it, that um, he was on 19 goals at the time of writing. He's now up to 23, I think. So it was, uh, his 19th goal was, was before Christmas. And um, maybe a lot has moved on in the, what, five weeks in, since? Um, or maybe it hasn't. I think um, I think once Salah is back from this um, Africa Cup of Nations, I think FSG, whoever you know, sorted out Michael Edwards and, and his team, they've just got to make this an absolute priority because he wants to stay. 
you know, he's, he's indicated that a few times in public now, and um, the fans want him to stay. And if he's allowed to speak to teams outside of England in 12 months' time or to pre-contract agreement, which is becoming a little bit of a trend for the biggest names in world football, isn't it? Then um, there'll be an absolute mutiny from the from the supporters, and rightly so. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, Liverpool proven though they won't cave to demands, haven't they? Theo, they did it with Genie Wijnaldum. He likewise seemingly wanted to stay, but they wouldn't sanction the deal that he wanted, and they were prepared to to walk him, uh, watch him walk out the door. Let's move on to the transfer window as a whole, though. Theo Gorsi, I know you've got a podcast with our very own Matt Addison coming out talking about kind of the lay of the land through the January transfer window. So I'll put this one to you, Theo, before we move on to the match. Expect anything this month or maybe just the odd outgoing? Um, just the odd outgoing. I don't think there seems to be any movement from Liverpool at the moment. Jurgen Klopp's hinted as much. Like He was asked about um, what the vaccination status would mean for transfers a few weeks ago. And he admitted that he didn't really think properly about giving an answer because they weren't close to doing anything. In another press conference, he said the perfect January transfer for him is one that you tried to get done the summer before or one that you want to do the next summer. So Liverpool, if they wanted to do someone, do a sign-in, um, when they, they knew they would have these injuries in midfield, which they've had for a number of months now, and they knew they'd be losing Salah, Mane and K to the Africa Cup of Nations, something would already be lined up. It would take a, a desperate set of circumstances now for him to dip their toes into the market, like we saw last year. Like they didn't make that move for the centre-backs until Joel Matip was ruled out for the season as well, when they brought in Davis and Kabak. And let's be honest, when they've made these knee-jerk signings in the past with those two and Stephen Colker as well, they've not been these great successes. Like Liverpool's transfer way of doing things, it works so much better when they've got that foresight, when they've got that forward planning. And it can have proper scouting and players looking at them for a year, 18 months and go, yes, now is the right time to bring them to the club. It's not going to be a case of they want someone to just fill a gap for a couple of months because they've not got Salah and Mane for a couple of weeks now. Um, but like I said earlier on the podcast, we could be in a position in a month's time where you're saying everyone in that squad's available again, unless you get any new injuries. And then you're talking about Harvey Elliott, like a new signing. You can go into that front three, you can go into the midfield, you can push forward, open up defences, and that, that could be a solution to it. You look at the squad and there are a couple of players that you could still move on. Like Nat Phillips, he's the obvious one, isn't he? He needs game time, can bring in a bit of money. Um Divock Origi, at the moment, you wouldn't want to let him go. Liverpool need him at the moment. He's one of those players that you do actually have confidence and you can throw him in when you need a goal and he can win you a game. He's horrendously inconsistent, which is why he's never nailed down that starting place in a Liverpool team. But he's still a match winner when you need him to be. So the sooner he's back from injury, the better. We know his contract's up in the summer, but I think there's an option on it so he could stay for another year anyway. It's going to be limited business. Liverpool will have to have... Uh, a real opportunistic uh, signing come to them for them to dip the toes in now, whether it's, I don't know, a player who's out of contract in the summer and they can suddenly get him for a cut price fee with a couple of days left in the window because his club got twitchy and want to raise a bit of money for him or something like that. But as it stands, you, you wouldn't be surprised if it was as you were from Liverpool. Yeah, of course, I don't want to spoil your chat with Matt coming up, but I suppose is is it time for the policy? Let's look ahead to the summer even, not in this January. It's not going to happen, is it? Is it time for the policy to change of sell to buy and 
be sustainable and, and profitability and, and all of that on the balance sheet. So what is it going back to the summer of 2018 where actually Liverpool dug their hands into their pockets four years on invest once more, is it? Yeah, I, I think I think this this shelter buy theory is not quite as, as prevalent as some fans would like to to think. I think um, last time Liverpool lost someone who didn't really want to leave is Philip Coutinho, and what's that four years ago now? Um, obviously, Wayne Aldum is a little bit different. You know, the the squad and the management would like to keep him, but the owners or you know whoever made that decision. Not to keep them on. Um, but yeah, I, I do think now, you know, four years since Liverpool's any real significant outlay in the summer, Ibrahim Akanate's came in for, for fairly decent money. Jota came in for a, for a fair whack as well. Thiago was probably the going rate for, for someone like that. And uh, Minamino was, was a bit of a cut price deal, wasn't it? And since then, they've lost Juan uh, Aldum, Dayan Lovren, and Jadon Chikiri. So it's. Um, it's not necessarily sell to buy, is it, when you look at it from there over the last few years. But I do think now um, Liverpool need to um, dig deep and um, see what's in the reserves and, and replenish the squad. And, and I don't think it's, um, I, I don't think it, it, you know, it needs anything major. I don't think it needs, you know, ripping up and starting again. It is still a, a hugely talented squad that will be challenging for the Champions League once that resumes. I've no doubt about it. And over two legs. Full strength Liverpool team will be able to compete with with any of them. Um, it's just happened that the league seems to have got away from them at the wrong time for a number of issues. City's just absolutely relentless, and if um, if Manchester City go and get ninety five points again and win the league, I don't necessarily think you can be overly critical of Liverpool just because they haven't been able to, to match that. It's um, you know Manchester City can get the best of absolutely everything, can't they? So if if you can't keep up with them every single season, it doesn't mean that. The pillar of busted flush and everything needs to start from square one again. Um, but I do think that um, they will need quite a bit of um, freshening up in the summer months. And the voice of reason as ever on the Blood Red podcast. That's why he is the Liverpool correspondent. <laughs> Just makes you at ease, at ease, even when things aren't maybe going as well as they should have. And on that, let's talk about the action to come on Sunday. Brentford heading to Anfield after beating Newcastle in the middle of December. It was eight wins in a row. Everything was fantastic. One win in six since, though, and that coming in the FA Cup against a side in League One. Um, mm. What's gone wrong? Is there any quick fix? Um. Well, the, the the COVID situation didn't help, did it? Liverpool were without Van Dijk, Thiago, Fabinho, Curtis Jones, um, particularly Jones at a time when the midfield options were really stretched away. The Cater was injured, I think. Thiago come back from COVID and then got injured and hasn't played since. Um, and then obviously you've got Mane, Cater and um, Salah going off to Af- Afcon at a time when Alison Becker, Roberto Firmino and Joel Matter have also been out with injuries. So if you look across the that kind of concentrated spell of injuries over the last four weeks, um, you know, or absences as well, it's been difficult, hasn't it? Um, Liverpool were really poor against Leicester. Um, no no question on that one. I thought he, he played well in, in part to Chelsea and, and drawing 2-2 there is... A decent result. Um, had Liverpool come back from two goals down, you wouldn't be looking at that result in the same way as it perhaps is now. Um, Tottenham was a was a tough one, wasn't it? That, again, that could have went either way. And 
Look, let, let's be honest, Liverpool are now playing bluffer teams here. Tottenham away and Chelsea away and Leicester away. They're all really yeah. difficult. Not sure about Tottenham, mm. but hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pride of North London. So it's, um, yeah, just a, a bit of a collection of things, really. The injury list and, and the timing of, of certain fixtures, and it's all just kind of rolled into one. At a time when Manchester City have won eleven games in a row, um, eleven games in a row is, is you know, it's incredible. Really, it's, it's nearly a third of the season, isn't it? Um, yeah. no, I, I'm with you on what you said before. I think if any team goes and wins 10, 11 games in a row during the course of a season, you've 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 got to sit back and say, well, they've they've taken they've laid down the gauntlet, haven't they? Everyone yeah. else keep pace. I don't, so. I, I don't think Liverpool will finish below second either. I think. I think they'll finish above Chelsea. I think there's a scenario where Manchester City beat Chelsea coming up and Liverpool win their game in hand and, you know, that'll, if they beat Brentford, that put them five points clear. Um, obviously, it doesn't quite work that way, but you know, you know what I'm getting at. I think, don't think Liverpool are in any danger of certainly finishing below third and, and I think they'll finish above Chelsea and that is not that would not be a disastrous Premier League season, would it? Let, let's be honest. I suppose no, it would be more of a concern if Chelsea had pulled away as well. But the fact that Liverpool and Chelsea have both had all these COVID cases at the worst time, let's be honest, it's when your fixture list is at its most busy, when you need to rotate, and they haven't been able to, and they haven't really had game, too many games called off either. They've both dropped a similar amount of points, and it just so happens they're against the one team in the country, maybe even in Europe, that can afford to take on such uh, a loss of players because they've got that added strength and depth yet they've not lost any players to COVID or anything. They've managed to balance it really well. Uh, we're all feeling doom and gloom about it now, but there's nothing to say that City wouldn't get a COVID case themselves at some point and then lose a few games and open it up again to Liverpool and Chelsea. It just so happens that they got the luck of the draw. They had all their players available. They could rotate. They had the strength and depth anyway, and it did just cost Liverpool and Chelsea at the same time. Uh, there's what, one point between them. Liverpool played a game less. Chelsea have won one of the last five. Liverpool have won two of the last five. They both drop points at the same time. And you're not looking at Chelsea's squad saying they're desperate to sign X, Y and Z. They've just been unlucky with injuries and COVID as well. It's a shame because six weeks ago, this was shaping up to be such a good Premier League title race. And the pandemic and COVID has just taken that away from us. And now you're looking at Liverpool and Chelsea to at least make it respectable, to get back within a few points again. They've both got to go to the Etihad. They could open it up again if they can go and win at the Etihad, but there's still a lot of points to make up there. Um, but then it's one where this is what City do. They've changed the landscape completely. They do go on these crazy runs. When Liverpool uh, lost out on the title by a point uh, a few years ago, didn't they win 18 of the last 19 games in the season? I think the only game they lost was like to Newcastle. They just don't give drop points in those circumstances. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was in January, that Newcastle game as well. Exactly. The one time that they didn't reach those standards was the year where Liverpool was so good anyway that they won the league. Um, So not really been able to see them go head-to-head properly for a whole season since that campaign. And that was 2018-2019. That Pep Guardiola has just got great resources at his disposal. And what makes it even more bitter, I suppose, is it was after a summer when they didn't get Harry Kane, when they, they seemingly don't have a striker, when they've just sold Ferran Torres as well. Well, they're still the best by far in England, potentially in Europe. 
without that striker when they've got so many good attacking midfielders. Yeah, this was the year goals. everyone else was meant to have a chance, wasn't yeah. it? Anyway, <laughs> it yeah. just turns out Man City are very good at football, considering they've been very good at football for four or five years now. Who knew? The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, no, let's talk less about them, though. Let's uh, let's talk about the game with Brentford before we get on to our team selector and match prediction. And, uh, Gorsty, I'll, I'll throw over to you on this. Jurgen Klopp, I think the quote you said in his press conference today was, he expects a fight with Brentford at Anfield on Sunday. They were left mm. with a bloody nose after the first encounter of the uh, season, weren't they? That 3-3 down at Brentford. They were, yeah. Um, I mean, fair play to Brentford. They, um, they're obviously... People have become a little bit more informed as to how they, they operate behind the scenes and the very um astute in terms of the analytical dives and um Matthew Venom has, has got a background in that hasn't he and I know we work quite a lot with Ted Nuts and who's um Statsbomb CEO who now work with Liverpool of course. Um so they they've been a massive su- success story but I think maybe people who, who were aware of that side of things without seeing them play too much have been a little bit taken aback by their approach. It's um it's very direct. It's very quick. It's it's get the ball forward as early and as often as possible to Ivan Tony and and fight for her up there. And they um, they kind of tap into the emotion of the Brentford Community Stadium when you when they're at home. They were very unlucky against Chelsea. They were a little unfortunate against Man City as well. To be fair, um, City only had one real chance and, and took it with um, was it Foden um, just after Christmas or just before Christmas. Um, Liverpool were, were undone there, weren't they? And, I think Brentford might have a similar game plan if they can to kind of overload the, the back posts and Trent Alexander-Arnold at times was fighting three against one. Um, and that was where Brentford got a lot of their joy that day. Um, the, I suppose the difference is coming to Anfield and, and doing that. Um, and Liverpool will um, ensure that um, they won't be able to do the same thing. But I, I do worry a little bit just because of our bereft of creativity Liverpool looked on, on Thursday night. Um, if they were creating chances and missing them, you wouldn't be too worried. But they didn't didn't have anything, did they? Not, you know, other than the Minamino miss, there wasn't anything that you think would be scored and high on the old XG chart. So Liverpool have got to massively improve. Um, and the home game against Brentford is quite a, um, a kind one, shall we say, in terms of getting back to winning ways. Jurgen Klopp made a comment in his press conference as well, wanna just pick up on kind of what you said there as well, Gorsty and Theo, you come in on this, of kind of speaking, Liverpool were lacking creativity, but he said against playing against Brentford, we'll be at Anfield, that will help. Well, on Thursday night, a night game under the lights, normally the kind of atmosphere that Anfield comes alive, it didn't, Theo, but it feels as though this Liverpool team at the moment lurching along a little bit, one win in six, maybe it is that they need the home crowd to energise them rather than the other way round. Because against Arsenal, the moments where they had Arsenal on the ropes was when the crowd then got into the game and it did sort of seem to to help the players. But otherwise, when the atmosphere died down, it, it all fell a bit flat. Well, we saw it in the, the Leicester quarterfinal. Liverpool won that game because of the crowd. The crowd got them back into it. They really rose to the occasion and they just enjoyed a good game of football um, in a game that going into it, they probably weren't that bothered about. Um, at the weekend against Shrewsbury, that was a game they weren't bothered about. There was no atmosphere at all, and they sort of stumbled through that without creating much. For whatever reason, whether it was being subdued about lack of signings, about Salah's contract, it wasn't the same 
intense atmosphere last night. Like they had the moments where they got behind it, but it still felt a bit half-hearted. And it's one where well, Brentford could be another one of those games. It's like almost a lazy Sunday kickoff, isn't it? The earlier kickoff, and it's like we well, you need them to be up for it. Liverpool need to start well and get an early goal so the crowd can get behind them and then go and do this big victory. But yeah, it's just not clicking for them for whatever reason at the moment. Um, after a year without the fans, it felt like they could have all this power for uh, again and go another year without losing at home or just winning every game. It's just not quite happened. There's something there that's not quite clicking. But then this Brentford game could go either way. Like Brentford coming to Anfield, that's what I think it's their first real big away day. Like They've had Tottenham a few weeks ago, but I don't think they've been to the Etihad. I don't think, or maybe they have just been, no, they haven't been to the Etihad. They haven't been to Stamford Bridge. They haven't been to the Emirates. They haven't been to Old Trafford. It's their first real test. And then you see what these newly promoted sides are about, don't you? Whether when they go into these big games, do they rise to the occasion and get points in a game they shouldn't do just because they're getting this big away day? Or do they roll over and get battered 4-0? They got battered 4-1 by Southampton in the week at St Mary's, but going to Anfield is different for them. They they could rise to the occasion. Or Liverpool could just silence all the doubts, go and put a few goals past them and go, yeah, we're poor against Arsenal, but now we've got players back from injury, we've got players with a point to prove and give that reward to the fans. Uh, We'll we'll find out on Sunday, but uh, it's one where it's not going to be too comfortable if the three-all draw is anything to go by. I think they've only won twice away from home so far this season, Brentford but they haven't had that big test yet. So uh, it's very anxious going into it. Yeah, let's wait and see how it plays out. Right, let's get into our team then. Uh, I feel confident enough to take the goalkeeping position once again. Alison Becker can can have that role. Gorsty, what's your back for? Yeah, probably not too too different from um, Thursday night, to be honest. Um, <clears throat> that is Liverpool's strongest back five on paper for me, isn't it? Trent on the right, Robertson on the left. You can make an argument for Simakas, but um, still would go with Robertson over him if uh, you put a gun to my head. And I and, and Matip. Although Canate's been in, in decent form as well, to be fair. Yeah, on that, just therefore preempting maybe a strong lineup. Uh, I suppose with the Arsenal game not decided by any means and, and a place at Wembley on the line for it, do you think he might not think of switching things up a bit? for this game with the fact that otherwise it's all of a sudden having not had a game for a little while most of them obviously rested against Shrewsbury having to to go through three big games in a week yeah quite possibly but um, in terms of how the game panned out yesterday they didn't have to do an awful lot of running they, they were camped on the halfway line for, for most of it so um, yeah it'd be interesting to see the, the kind of amount that they've run uh, yesterday against the game against, you know, whoever, Manchester City, say, for example. So uh, I don't think they'll be too um, too tired from Thursday's shift. No, fair play. Theo, what about your back four? Yeah, I reckon it'd be similar to that. Um, you've got enough days after it for recovery for Arsenal to go strong against then. More of the concern is if you've got the recovery from the first leg going into this one, and then when you're thinking, well, how much did the players actually train last week with all these false positives? Like how many of the, I think Trent was the only one who got COVID, but how many of the others couldn't train because they thought they had tested positive and then it turns out they were okay? Uh, you don't know how match fit they are behind the scenes. We, we saw some players, Alice in particular, just given the game on Thursday because he needed an appearance. You haven't got upset as much. You League Cup debut, of course. Um, but then I think the only one you can really claim is maybe... Canate for Matip 
just because Matip, we, we know what his injury record is. He's very fragile. You don't want to have him playing so often in quick succession when he's had this timeout with COVID. We know he actually did test positive, so he's maybe one you've got to protect a bit more. But Alexander-Arnold, Robertson and Van Dijk make up the rest of it for me. So you're going with Canate, are you? Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Right, yeah, cool. I wasn't sure you were, you were you were toying with it, but you didn't commit to it. Anyway, uh, Theo, stay with you then for the midfield. Midfield three? <laughs> There's only three or four of them are available anyway. <laughs> Fabinho, number six. I think that one's the obvious one. Um, Jordan Henderson, he's the captain. Don't have many options there. I'm not going to keep James Milner in, though. I, I would be tempted to do four, two, three, one. Maybe just have those two as the deep ones. Right. So that um, you two are you? Are you going to yeah, go with that? Yeah, I've told myself into yeah. that. I'm going to do four right. two three one because Jota right. was that poor at right on the right against right. Arsenal. Okay, so we'll 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 wait for your front four. We'll have them all at once. But Gorsty, what about your midfield? Is that a three or is that a two? No, it's a three. But it's um, I'm dropping out Milner. I think um, I think it might be a good game for Curtis Jones. Actually, I thought he was quite bright when he came on yesterday, and <clears throat> probably Liverpool's most promising player in the last twenty minutes. So um, bring him back in and uh, keep Henderson and Fabinho in there. Right, your front three before we before we get the suspense that's building for Theo's attack. What's your forward line, Gorsty? <laughs> um, three going into three, isn't it? There's not too many options unless you you want to play Oxley Chamberlain in one of the wide areas, or you throw a little bit of a wild card in there like Gordon. But uh, Nico Williams could it, he play right wing? He could do, yeah. Because he only played there once against Leicester this season. Come on for a little bit at the end of the Preston game. Didn't he? Um, yeah, it's better the devil, you know. I think you're gonna have to stick with Minamino and and Jota and Firmino. Maybe Minamino on the right, Jota off the left. Despite me, he sounds so depressed on, but... saying this goal. Yeah, just because. Put <laughs> <laughs> yourself into it, Gorsty. The... Kai Gordon, go on, throw him in. Do you just lack a bit of thrust, don't they? Um, no, no, no real pace in that front three. Um, and I don't think for, I think for me, you know what wide would just be an absolute aberration. As much as I think Jota is better through the middle, I think he's at least capable of doing a job on the left. I've got a feeling here, Theo's going to put both Jota and Firmino through the middle. Theo, go on. What's the front four and how are they lining up? Jota and Firmino through the middle. Yep. Jota in front of Firmino. Uh, Minamino on the left and Oxlade Chamberlain on the right. Uh, harsh on Curtis Jones. He, he did do well when he came on, but when we've seen him in the front three in the first team, he's not looked as comfortable as he has in midfield. Um, he, he can come on and be a bit more controlling in the second half. Uh, there is that temptation to put Cade Gordon in there just because he's the natural fit for that uh, right forward. But he's a teenager. He's only played for the team twice just because he scored against the League One side. <laughs> uh, maybe it's time for him to have a Premier League debut off the bench. That It could be the sort of game that you can make that decision. But Oxley chamberlain he's got that experience of playing in the right before. You'll know better, that better than us. Ten years ago, yeah. Yeah, it might have been ten years ago, but he's still done it. He's still got that myth that he's got a bit of pace about him. Uh whether we, we, he actually doesn't, because we haven't seen it for a while, who knows? But it's still a position he can do. And at least then you've got your goal scorer up front. Like it means they can still have an off day and you still think something could fall to Jota and he could win you the game. Yeah, I thought against a direct team, maybe Ox could have been a guy to play in the, the midfield and or run about the place as he, he often does at Anfield. But alas, 
you guys haven't selected that. Before we go then, predictions. Score, Steve, what's the score going to be? Uh, back to winning ways, 2-0. That's with certainty. Theo? I keep being positive with these and Loveboard rubbish, so I'm going to say 2 all and hope that it works the other way. Right. <laughs> Brilliant way. Brilliant way to end the pod. Cheers, Theo. <laughs> you, can always, you can always trust and rely on you, mate, for the upbeat ending, even when yeah. uh, Ian Doyle's not about. But anyway, right, that's all we've time for on this edition of the Blood Red Podcast. Do remember the agenda with uh, Gorsty and Matt coming up over the course of the weekend, talking through the state of play with Liverpool in the transfer window and ahead of the game at Anfield, behind enemy lines. Also, another pod offering to come your way here from us on the Blood Red channel. But from myself, Guy Clark, Theo Squires and Paul Gorse, thanks for your time and your company. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.